Please turn with me in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 10 as we return to this chapter, this vision that Daniel is receiving, uh, but take a little bit of a detour starting this morning uh, to learn a little bit more about something that has arisen in the course of studying these chapters, Daniel 10, 11, and 12. So I want to read a few selected verses from these chapters, which we have read before, and uh, we will go from there. Daniel chapter 10, starting in verse 12. Then he said to me, do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard and I have come in response to your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. And then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. If you go down to verse 20, this one continues to speak. Then he said, do you understand why I came to you? But I shall now return to fight against the prince of Persia. So I'm going forth, and behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. However, I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. Yet there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael, your prince. In the first year of Darius the Mede, I arose to be an encouragement and a protection for him. In chapter 12, verse 1, it says this. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. And there will be a time of distress such as has never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. We're dealing here in this text with uh, what Daniel refers to in quoting the words of this messenger as princes, but not uh, human princes, as we might see in the various royal families of the world and the monarchies that have been there ever since uh, as long as we know. But we're talking here about a different kind of prince, uh, a heavenly prince of sorts, an angel of some kind, angelic beings that are described here. And in this section, we get just a little bit of an open window into the heavenly places that causes us to say, what in the world is going on behind that curtain? He shows up. He says, I'm battling other princes. There's a prince that's over your people, Israel. There's a prince that's over Persia. There are kings of Persia that are described here. And then there's a prince of Greece that's about to come. None of these are anyone that you've ever seen before because these are not human beings. These are angelic beings. What is going on? What are they doing? Where are they? What are they like? And what are they doing in relationship to people and nations? And so it causes us to step back and to take a little bit of a look into this subject of these angelic beings or just more simply angels. Angels are, of course, a very uh, mysterious and at the same time very uh, interesting topic, a popular topic in many people's minds. And this is not a new thing. Uh, much art over the course of time has been dedicated to this. Uh, different types of cultural things that include angels. And of course, there are a whole lot of different views of what angels are like. 
proper conceptions and misconceptions. These mysterious beings, of course, show up all through the Bible, all over the Bible. But what are they and what do they do? Here in Daniel chapter 10, we find one of them bringing a message to Daniel, as has happened in preceding chapters. But we also find them fighting on behalf of, it seems, their particular respective nations that they have been assigned to guard over or to influence or to fight for in some way by uh, whoever is in charge of them. And this raises a lot of questions about what angels are doing and also a little bit about how we should interact with them. And so rather than leave that to speculation based on a few verses here and rather than just assume that we all are on the same page about what they are, it seems good to step back for just a bit and understand a little bit more about these creatures before we move on. And so what we want to do is begin today by looking at angels in general, what they are and what God uses them for. We'll also consider evil angels, Satan and his demons. And then we'll look at how we as human beings and then specifically us as Christians, how we should think about them and interact with them, how we should strive to uh, seek their help where that's the side that we should go for and how we should fight against them where that is called for. And so what we want to consider this morning on the subject of angels is who are they and what do they do? This is going to be a little bit of a systematic study, a systematic survey of what the Bible says about angels. This is not completely exhaustive, but hopefully representative enough that by the time you walk out of here this morning, uh, you have a pretty good idea about what angels are and the general things that they do. Uh, so we want to begin by looking at what they actually are. What is their nature? What is the nature of angels? And we begin simply with this, that they are creatures, that they are creatures. And Colossians 1.16 makes this plain. When it talks about Jesus being the, in verse 15, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And it says, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. These words, these thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities are part of a, word, a group of words that are used in the Bible in various places, in particular Colossians and Ephesians and even Romans chapter 8, to make reference to some of these heavenly beings. And we'll talk about some of these more later as regards uh, class or rank of angels. But for the moment, it suffices to say that Jesus himself was the one through whom these beings were created. Not just the visible things that we see in the heavens and the earth, not just, the, not just space and our planet, but even the invisible things, including these thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities. Heavenly beings, angelic beings have been created as well. And Jesus, of course, is involved as the word who was in the beginning with God and who was God as the agent of creation. This is what this says. They have been created through him and for him. So they were created. Uh, they were created in some way before the earth was made. Job 38 talks about this. And when God is rebuking Job for uh, 
becoming a little bit too comfortable challenging God for why all these things were happening to him. Uh, He wants to let Job know, well, you weren't really around when I made all of these things and you don't know as much as you think you do. So he says in Job 38 verses 4 through 7, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurements since you know? Or who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together? And all it says here, the sons of God shouted for joy. This is a term that is sometimes used to refer to this group of heavenly creatures, these angels, the sons of God. And so when God is doing his work of creating the earth, evidently they are already there and they are watching what God is doing. They are rejoicing in the work of God. So they are creatures that God has made at some point before the earth was made. They are also, secondly, not deities. They are not deities. And we find this pointed, uh, most pointedly in Revelation 19 and 22, uh, among other places. But this shows up very clearly where John falls down at the feet of these angels In Revelation 19, he falls down at the feet of this angelic messenger. It says, I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Worship God. Revelation 22, verses 8 and 9, a similar thing happens. When I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book, worship God. Worship is reserved for God. These are not God, therefore they are not to be worshipped. They refuse worship. They also don't possess divine attributes. They don't possess the same attributes as God. They often are very powerful. We find this, we've already seen this in Daniel chapter 10, when the angel comes to visit Daniel and he falls down and he can't even speak. He can't even stand up until the angel touches his lips and then touches his body to strengthen him. But they're very powerful. They know certain things. They observe certain things. And they can evidently travel to various places. However, they are not omniscient. They're not all-knowing. They are not all-powerful, omnipotent, and they are, not, uh, they are not omnipresent. They're not everywhere all at once. In these ways, they are not like God. They are therefore not deities. At the same time, they're not God, but they are different than man. They're different than man. And just one passage that, uh, that highlights this for us is 1 Peter chapter 1, where they are observers rather than participants in the redemptive work of Christ. 1 Peter 1.12 says of the Old Testament prophets, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things which have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Angels long to look. So as these things of salvation are going on, as God's redemptive plan is working out in individual people, these angels are observing this salvation taking place as outside observers. They're involved in ministering to the saints, as we'll see. They're involved in bringing the message, but they are outsiders when it comes to participating in the work of salvation. They are different than men. And so they're different than the nature of the God-man, Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 3 says that 
Paul was giving grace to, verse 9, bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. It is not only in the gospel message and the salvation of individual people that angels see the brilliance of God. It is also in the church itself. And God's wisdom is put on display in a particular way to these heavenly beings who watch from the outside when the church is what God made it to be. So they are different than men. They are different than men. This, of course, is obvious as well in the various interactions that angels, uh, that angels have with men where they fall down on their face. Men are terrified. It's very obvious that their physical features, when they appear physically, are very different. They're different than men. Now, on that note, they are described in Scripture as spirit beings who can yet appear visibly and or physically. They're spirit beings who can appear visibly and or physically. So, whether in where, uh, earthly manifestations or in heavenly visions, they look like certain things. They have appearances, and they're even consistent in the way that they appear when they appear repeatedly. For example... In uh, Daniel chapter 9, if you look there with me, if, you're, if you have your Bible still there in Daniel, you can see uh, in verse 21, having already received uh, a message and a vision that was brought with Gabriel in Daniel chapter 8, it says in Daniel 9, 21, while I was still speaking in prayer, then the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. Gabriel was recognizable to Daniel. You say it says he's the man Gabriel. Well, this is the way that he appears when he comes to Daniel. We know that he is an angel because he shows up in Luke chapter 1. And he is called the angel Gabriel. But when he shows up to Daniel, he comes with the appearance of a man, which is often the case when it comes to the way that angels appear to humans in Scripture. They look like men when they show up, and they even speak the language of men, the language that that man will understand or that woman that they are speaking with. So when these show up to uh, earth or in various places, they will look like human beings in many cases. Now, at the same time, uh, there are those that appear very different than human beings. They look different. Um, some angelic beings have various features that are like different earthly creatures. For example, the vision around the throne of God that's described in Ezekiel chapter 1 and in Revelation chapter 4. There are living creatures that have faces of various animals and they have different features and there are some human features to them but there are also other features involved uh, such that they're very complex and they're a combination of different things. Some angelic beings are said to have wings, which is perhaps the most popular thing that people think about when they think about visible features of angels that are different than the features of men, in addition to uh, putting a halo over their head in their mind. But sometimes they look like men, and sometimes they look like other things. Either way, they are spiritual beings who are able to appear in certain settings, whether in visions or on earth, with physical or visible form. Another truth about angels and their nature is that they are moral agents. 
They are moral agents. Uh, These angels were created good, but some of them fell. And there's a description of some of these. For example, in uh, in the book of Jude, in chapter 6, excuse me, verse 6. In Jude 6, it says, And angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he is kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. These are angels who have rebelled against God, and he is now uh, waiting to destroy them or waiting to judge them eternally at the day of judgment. Revelation 9 verse 11 also describes these type of evil angels. It says they have as king over them the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon and in the Greek he has the name Apollyon. And just to clarify there by the way that is describing one particular evil angel. Uh, the, uh, what he is in charge over are said to be these, uh, these locusts that have this great powerful description that are sent to the earth to do harm. But there is an evil angel who is in charge of them, most likely referring here to Satan himself. Uh, Possibly it is a third of them that fell. You get this picture in Revelation chapter 12, verse 4, that describes the fall of angels. Uh, His tail, the dragon, swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. It is very possible that's describing the proportion of angels that fell from their holy angel state into being evil. So there are evil angels, and we'll talk about them in more detail to come. But there are also holy angels. Mark 38, or Mark 8, 38, Jesus says that he will come and return with them, accompanying him, the holy angels. And this, of course, doesn't even mention all of the messengers that God sends, the angels that attend him in his presence, the ones that worship him and that are called to worship him, and that we see described in various places in Scripture. These are then moral agents. Some of them fell, but many of them are holy angels who are righteous. Number six, they are immortal They are immortal. These angels do not die. They do not die. Luke chapter 20, verse 36, uh, describes this when it talks about what people will be like. And it says this, Luke 20, verse 36. It says, for they cannot even die anymore because they are like angels and are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. And then finally, there are myriads of angels the angels are myriad there are many 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 of them hebrews 12 22 describes this a myriad of angels and uh, revelation 5 11 describes that there is around the throne it says uh, i heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands and basically he's just saying there are just so many that I can't even count them. Jesus said he could call 12 legions, which would be about 12 times 6,000, about 72,000 of them at once. Not exhaustive, uh, but just to show that there are a lot of them out there. So this is their nature. They are creatures. They're not deities. They're different than man. They're spirit beings who can appear visibly and or physically. They're moral agents. They're immortal. And there are many, many of them. Well, what are the particular angels? How are they identified in Scripture? That's what we'll consider next, their identity, their identity. And we will start with their titles and then look at some specific named angels. And again, this is not 
completely comprehensive, but this is representative of a number of the major ways that Scripture refers to them. They are, of course, called angels. They are called angels, Luke 1.11, Hebrews 1.7, and many, many other places simply refer to angels as just that. They are angels. Now, the word itself uh, underlying that generally means, in the New Testament Greek word, uh, it means a messenger. So when we see angel in the New Testament, this is generally what is referred to is this word for messenger. Uh, but it isn't just any old messenger in most of those cases. It is someone who actually is this kind of heavenly being. Uh, there's another title that is used, as I mentioned earlier, which is the sons of God. The sons of God. And this comes out in particular in the book of Job. And uh, in Job, you have this instance in the first chapter. Look there with me, if you would, uh, just at the very beginning so that you can get the picture of what's going on. Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1, verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. He goes on and then verse 12 the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. So these sons of God are presenting themselves before God. This happens again in chapter 2, verse 1. There was a day, again there was a day, when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. So Satan is among this group. Once again, it does seem to be this group of angelic beings that come in the presence of the Lord, here perhaps in a way that is not just constant, the way that some of the angelic beings seem to surround God, praising him according to repeated visions. But nonetheless, they are, at least in these moments, in his presence, and they are referred to as the sons of God. This is not the same thing, of course, as the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Uh, even Christians ourselves are referred to in many places as sons of God. Romans 8 says, all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. So to call one a son of God is not the same thing as identifying them as the son of God, the one who shares all of the divine attributes, the one who is fully God, just as is God the Father, Jesus Christ. To say that these angels are that is not to say that they are on par with Jesus Christ. It is simply a title that is used to describe those who on occasion or more frequently present themselves in the presence of the Lord. They are referred to sometimes as the host or uh, armies, which also implies a large number of them. 1 Kings twenty-two nineteen, the heavenly host are described there. Luke two thirteen, when Jesus has been born and the angels appear to the shepherds, it says that there appeared with the one angel a multitude of the heavenly host. And in fact, it is uh, most likely for this reason that they are called the heavenly host, that it's often assumed that they are in the sky or in the heaven when that vision is taking place, when they appear Rather, they are simply the army that is from heaven, of heaven, of an, a heavenly nature. These angelic messengers, these angels that are not earthly in their nature or in their primary abode, but they are rather spiritual beings who are part of this group of heavenly angels. 
In Daniel chapter 10 and 12, they are referred to as princes. These particular angels are referred to as princes. We don't know that all angels are that, but there are at least some who are referred to as princes having this rule of some kind over these various nations that are there at the time. And it seems will also be the case uh, in Daniel chapter 12 at the end of time, meaning this is probably something that continues to go on to this day, that there would be heavenly princes, angelic princes of some kind that have national influence. And we'll talk about that more a bit later on. Daniel chapter 4 three times refers to uh, something called a watcher, a watcher, an angelic watcher. Daniel 4, 13, I was looking in the visions and in my mind as I lay on my bed and behold, an angelic watcher, a holy one, descended from heaven and he came with a message. Verse 17, this sentence is by the decree of the angelic watchers. Verse 23, in that the king saw an angelic watcher, a holy one, descending from heaven. So there is some type of angelic being referred to in this way. And then there are perhaps those that are uh, the most vividly described in Scripture, special types of angels. Cherubim, cherubim, a few places that describe this. The earliest would be in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve have been kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And God says we don't want them coming back in to get access to the tree of life. So we've got to set up guard against that. So it says in Genesis 3, 24, So he drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. We find these beings described in great detail in Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel chapter 1. Look there with me. Look there with me. This is an extensive description, and uh, it's... It really paints a vivid picture of the kind of thing that that these creatures are. Ezekiel is uh, roughly a contemporary of Daniel. And he gets his message around the same time that we would have been hearing from Daniel in the events that are taking place there. Ezekiel 1, starting in verse 4, as I looked... Behold, a storm wind was coming from the north, a great cloud with fire flashing forth continually, and a bright light around it, and in its midst something like glowing metal in the midst of the fire. Within it, there were figures resembling four living beings, and this was their appearance. They had human form. Each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, and their feet were like a calf's hoof, and they gleamed like burnished bronze. Under their wings... On their four sides were human hands. As for the faces and wings of the four of them, their wings touched one another. Their faces did not turn when they moved. Each went straight forward. As for the form of their faces, each had the face of a man. All four had the face of a lion on the right and the face of a bull on the left. And all four had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. Their wings were spread out above. Each had two touching another being and two covering their bodies. And each went straight forward. Wherever the spirit was about to go, they would go without turning as they went. In the midst of the living beings, there was something that looked like burning coals of fire, like torches darting back and forth among the living beings. The fire was bright and lightning was flashing from the fire. And the living beings ran to and fro like bolts of lightning. Now, as I looked at the living beings, behold, there was one wheel on the earth beside the living beings for each of the four of them. The appearance of the wheels and their workmanship was like sparkling barrel, and all four of them had the same form, their appearance and workmanship being as if one wheel were within another. 
Whenever they moved, they moved in any of their four directions without turning as they moved. As for their rims, they were lofty and awesome. And the rims of all four of them were full of eyes round about. Wherever the living beings moved, the wheels moved with them. And wherever, whenever the living beings rose from the earth, the wheels rose also. Wherever the spirit was about to go, they would go in that direction. And the wheels rose close beside them, for the spirit of the living beings was in the wheels. Whenever those went, these went. And whenever those stood still, these stood still. And whenever those rose from the earth, the wheels rose close beside them, for the spirit of the living beings was in the wheels. Now, over the heads of the living beings, there was something like an expanse, like the awesome gleam of crystal spread out over their heads. Under the expanse, their wings were stretched out straight, one toward another. Each one also had two wings covering its body on the one side and on the other. I also heard the sound of their wings like the sound of abundant waters as they went, like the voice of the Almighty, a sound of tumult like the sound of an army camp. Whenever they stood still, they dropped their wings. And there came a voice from above the expanse that was over their heads. Whenever they stood still, they dropped their wings. Now above the expanse that was over their heads, there was something resembling a throne, like lapis lazuli in appearance. And on that which resembled a throne, high up was a figure with the appearance of a man. Then I noticed from the appearance of his loins and upwards something like glowing metal that looked like fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his loins and downward, I saw something like fire and there was a radiance around him. As the appearance of the rainbow and the clouds on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the surrounding radiance. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and heard a voice speaking. Wouldn't you too? Falling on your face. Uh, Ezekiel describes these beings in great detail. He clarifies for us in chapter 10 that these are, in fact, cherubim. Verse 15, then the cherubim rose up. They are the living beings that I saw by the river Chebar. He's describing where he was in chapter 1. So that's what these are. Uh, we also learn in pulling pieces together from chapters 8, 9, and 10 of Ezekiel that the being that had the appearance of a man on top of this whole thing is none other than the Lord himself who speaks as the Lord in those chapters later on. This is the visible representation, the reality, at least in vision form, of these creatures, but it's not uh, the first time that someone in Israel had interacted with them because there is a, a form that God instructed to be made to picture them in the tabernacle. What goes inside the tabernacle over the Ark of the Covenant in Exodus chapter 25. Exodus 25, Israel was to put the, the Ark of the Covenant where the tablets of the Ten Commandments, the tablets of the Testimony were to go in inside the tabernacle where the high priest would come and worship God. But there was something that was supposed to go on top of it. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and one and a half cubits wide. You shall make two cherubim of gold. Make them of hammered work at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end and one cherub at the other end. And you shall make the cherubim of one piece with the mercy seat at its two ends. The cherubim shall have their wings spread upward, covering the mercy seat with their wings and facing one another. The faces of the cherubim are to be turned toward the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, 
And in the ark you shall put the testimony which I will give to you. And there I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim which are upon the ark of the testimony, I will speak to you about all that I will give you in commandment for the sons of Israel. Now, it doesn't appear that there is an exact replica of all of the various animal faces and so on that are there in the wheels. Not necessarily, although we don't necessarily have an entire description of uh, perhaps every little detail that could have been there involved in these. But what we do find is we have God here making these angelic beings, these cherubim, right there in the place where God would come down above to meet with Israel, where he would make his presence known there in the Holy of Holies. And so it is a reflection of the way that things are in the heavenly realm, where God is surrounded by these beings. We read about this similar or perhaps even a different angle on the same vision in Revelation chapter 4 when living creatures surround the throne. These may be cherubim but they are also referred to there as living creatures and not specified as cherubim and so there may be another title that we can simply call them living creatures or it could be that they are one and the same. Either way you have these special types of angels, these angelic beings that are uh, carrying out this particular role of attending God as he sits on his throne. One more picture, Isaiah 6, a passage that you most likely know well. Isaiah 6, Isaiah says, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim, this is the different type of angel, seraphim stood above him, each having six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Now consider how powerful these voices are and, that, and then consider that they cover their faces in the presence of the Lord. This is how holy God is. We sing the song. No angel in the sky can what? Fully bear that sight. But downward bends his wondering eye at mysteries so bright. 1 Peter 1.12, things into which angels long to look. And so while they cannot observe God straight on in this way, these beings, they cover their faces and their feet because of God's holiness. At the same time, they observe the wonders that God does in salvation. These are some of the titles of angels. There are a few that are specifically named in the Bible. Specifically named angels include, uh, just from the beginning, most prominent of all, the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord, who is described in many places in the Old Testament. And uh, in a way that we can't go into detail now about this, if you pull together all the pieces, the best understanding of this, I would argue very strongly, is that this is actually a pre-incarnate form of Christ himself, one who comes and who is willing to speak as God, one who is willing to accept worship. In Exodus 3, when Moses bows down before him, when Joshua bows down before the commander of the armies of the Lord in Joshua chapter 5, in Genesis 22, when he calls out from heaven, the angel of the Lord calls out and says, by myself I have sworn, and he makes an oath. That was referred to just in the scripture reading this morning, Hebrews chapter 6. 
that the Lord is the one that swore that oath. So you have this most prominent angel of the Lord. But there are, of course, others. We've learned about Gabriel in Daniel 8 and 9 in Luke chapter 1. We've learned about Michael in Daniel chapter 10 and 12. And he's in Revelation chapter 12. And then, of course, we know about the head of all evil angels, fallen angels, none other than Satan himself. There is a demon that is referred to as legion in Luke chapter 5, for they are many We don't have the names of most angels, but we do have a few. And then there are, of course, the princes that are described in the book of Daniel by their title, really the nation that they're connected with. We move on then to consider not just their identity, but the ranks and roles of angels. And there are just a couple of things to point out here. Um, Their rank compared to other beings, first of all, Uh, they are lower than God, but they are currently higher than men currently higher than men in hebrews 2 verse 7 it says you have made him talking about man for a little while lower than the angels for a little while lower than the angels and in first corinthians 6 3 paul asked the question do you not know that we will judge angels now we don't know what this entails for the nature in terms of actual power and you know, innate capacity, but in terms of role and rank, there is coming a day when believers will in fact be exalted over these creatures, which for now we are under in our rank. So angels are lower than God, but currently higher than men. That's how they compare to other beings. Well, what about compared to themselves? What about compared with one another? Well, we know, for example, that there is such a thing as an archangel, Michael is described as one of the chief angels in Daniel chapter 10. He is called this in, uh, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. He is referred to as the great prince. As the great prince. Excuse me, I think I'm reading the wrong verse. Uh, I'm, I'm citing the wrong verse there, and I will have to find this. Uh, but Michael is said to be the great prince. And he stands guard over Israel. Uh, Sorry, this is in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. He is the great prince. He is referred to in Jude 9 as Michael the archangel. And 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 describes the voice of an archangel. It doesn't say whether that's Michael or whether there are others. There may in fact be. But there is such a thing as an angel that is exalted in position over others. We of course know that Satan himself is the one who is over the fallen angels and demons. So there are ranks within that as well. Now it may be the case that the various terms used to describe these heavenly creatures, as I mentioned earlier in Ephesians and Colossians and Romans, are orders of rank or position in some way or another. There are uh, the following words are used, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, might, forces of darkness, and spiritual forces of wickedness. Colossians 1.16, as I mentioned earlier, discusses this. 2.15, uh, Ephesians 1.21, Ephesians 3.10, Ephesians 6.12, if you're taking notes on that, and then Romans 8.38. Uh, there are a number of these things that are described in these verses. Uh, I'm not convinced that these are rigid ranks necessarily because of the way that they're used somewhat differently in these different passages, but there may be something to the idea that there are tiers or ranks or classes 
of angels that uh, relate to one another in various authority structures and that some of these terms or perhaps all of them do imply that. Uh, these rulers, Ephesians 6.12, they are called rulers, powers, world forces of, this, of darkness, spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And uh, what this tells us is that they are plural. They are not just limited to Satan, these spiritual forces of wickedness. They are on earth. They are or they're not on earth. They're heavenly. They are not humans. Uh, they are angels. But we don't fight against them in the same way as, say, Michael and these other angels were doing. We do fight against them nonetheless, and we want to give further attention to that in a week to come. In addition to all of these, of course, there are the uh, geopolitical princes that are described in Daniel chapter 10 and 11 and 12. And so these rule over these nations or influence them in some way. And that leads us to consider what angels actually do. What do angels do? What are the activities of angels? And there are four basic activities that I would lay out. One of these is worshiping and serving God. Worshiping and serving God. We already read from Isaiah chapter 6. We read in Revelation about the angels that are around the throne and the living creatures that are around the throne. There is a call in Psalm 103 as uh, David calls upon himself to bless the Lord and his own soul. He calls out at the end of this psalm, he says in Psalm 103, 21, Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you who serve him, doing his will. In verse 20, Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength, who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. These Angelic beings are called upon to praise the Lord. And of course, because they are not sinful, the ones that have not rebelled against God, it is assumed that they will actually do this. They serve the Lord. They worship him. They serve him, as it says here. You do his holy will. They even uh, attend God, if you will. They just are there in his presence, exalting him. You know, you have people in... Uh, royal positions even in this world that will have just they kind of have their entourage you know and they have people that are with them that just show their power by virtue of having this group of people angels are like that for God if these are the beings that surround him and attend to him then what does that say about him angels worship and serve God they also communicate divine messages they communicate divine messages. This should be clear by now from the book of Daniel. These messengers keep bringing things. This prince comes and brings things. Gabriel comes to bring things. Uh, there is, uh, there is a, uh, the watcher that comes in Daniel chapter 4. Uh, they accompany the giving of the law. This is what's stated in Acts chapter 7. Uh, Stephen tells the Pharisees, You who received the law as ordained through angels. So they are there in some way or another. They're, they are mediating that. Luke chapter 1, the angel Gabriel comes and he gives this message to Zacharias and to Mary. Over and over again, these angels would come with a message. We find Abraham hosting these three men, these angels that come, including uh, what appears to be the angel of the Lord. So over and over again, angels bring messages from God to human beings. Number three, they control to some extent in some way of influence, earth's nature and nations. In some way, God uses them by their power and ability to 
control, influence, human nature or the earth's nature and the nations of the earth. And so you have an example, Revelation uh, over and over again, the angels are given power to do certain things, but just Revelation 7, 1 describes it vividly. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth so that no wind would blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. So you have here, basically, they are taking these, uh, these natural forces of the earth and they are controlling this. They are completely altering the way that things work in the world. God has given them the power uh, in certain times and for certain purposes to do this. In Daniel chapter 10 and 11 and 12, we find that there is some type of influence on behalf of nations. Michael, the archangel, stands guard over the people of Israel. He stands guard over them such that when there is a satanic attack through Antichrist... And through Satan's appointed ruler, Michael is able to protect them from that particular attack. And of course, they're specifically listed as the princes of these nations. There are human rulers, but something is going on behind the scenes in ways that we can't quite describe. And really, that the Bible doesn't really lay out in detail. But something is happening. And there are ways in which what they do and the power that they have when they fight against each other in these ways under God's sovereign hand and his sovereign design these are some of the instruments of making these nations interact with each other in the way that they do so they control earth's nature and nations to some degree in some way at God's instruction and as God allows and then finally number four they serve the saints they serve the saints Hebrews 1 Verse 14. This is such a beautiful picture. Um, verse 13. But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Uh, Christ is exalted above all of them because that was the promise to the Messiah, to the Son. He says, to which of them has he ever said that? But are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? God dispatches angels to benefit you and me. And he has in mind particularly the saints. They serve, of course, as messengers to humans, bringing the word of God, relaying the word of God, bringing encouragement and support. They provide for certain needs. They protect. They rescue. We really don't know all that they do. Hebrews 13 says that some have entertained angels unaware. We don't always know when they're even among us. Because they can appear in human form. That did happen at least in once in the Bible when they didn't know that it was an angel. And they have this kind of influence and power going on behind the scenes that we really will never know all of unless in glory they come and tell us all about it. But we know that they serve us. And we know that God sends them out to do these kinds of things. Daniel gives us a little glimpse into the window of this going on. He was delayed, this angel, three weeks because he had to fight, because he had to battle. And yet he was sent by God to serve Daniel. And then, of course, indirectly, by extension, to serve us, bringing this message, bringing the word of God. So these are who angels are. This is what they do. We'll continue to learn more about them. But hopefully you understand more and you're more aware of this, that there is more going on behind the scenes than we often think about. And because God is in control of these, even though there are demonic 
influences at work, satanic influences at work. At the same time, there are holy angels working on God's behalf, and he is in control of all of them, and he uses them to bring about blessing and ultimately glory for his saints who are going to inherit salvation. Let's join in prayer together as we close. Father, thank you for this time of studying uh, these amazing creatures of yours. And uh, as we consider the mystery of them and what we do know about them, their power, uh, their influence, their greatness, may we be drawn not to worship them or to stop at thinking about them, but to the one who made them, the one who is worshipped by them. What does it say about you if you are the one who is worshipped by these type of beings? May our praise all the more be amplified. May it be increased as we consider just how great you are in light of all of these things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.